They did an amazing job, didn't they? Yes. I'm going to read from the passage that, uh, that Humbug read from, actually right at the very beginning. It's in Isaiah chapter 9. It says in verse 6, For to us a child is born, to us a son is given, and the government shall be upon his shoulder, and his name shall be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Of the increase of his government and of peace, there will be no end. On the throne of David and over his kingdom, to establish it and to uphold it with justice and with righteousness, from this time forth and forevermore, the zeal of the Lord of hosts will do this. And as Humbug mentioned, Isaiah wrote this around 740 B.C., so about 740 years before it actually came to pass, God inspired the prophet Isaiah to write this down to what? To point to Jesus being born. And and it's a very bold prophecy when you think about it. Uh, Let's just look at the first verse. Uh, A baby will be born. It says, to us a child is born. All right? Okay, we like babies, right? We like kids, right? And we had some really cute kids up here today. So a baby will be born. But then it says, this baby will grow up to be a leader. The government will be upon his shoulder. Okay, so he's going to be a strong leader. And then we find out he's going to have a few titles. It says, his name shall be called. Okay, well, titles are good, right? I mean, they can be informative. They can tell us about the person and the position they have. The first title is Wonderful Counselor. Okay, what does this tell us? Well, this baby who's going to grow up is going to, be, is going to be wise. He's going to be an amazing counselor. But then look at this. The next title, Mighty God. Like, think about that. The child is God. I mean, seriously, people don't walk around, especially in the Old Testament, they don't walk around just giving titles of God to people, right? Right? No one else given that title except the baby that's born. Well, how can this be? Well, because God came in the flesh. The fancy word is the incarnation. God came in the flesh. Why? To rescue us. We needed rescuing. And sometimes when we think, we're tempted to think sometimes, God doesn't care. Well, yes, he does. And we're tempted to think, God doesn't love me. Well, yes, he does. And we're tempted to think, I'm alone in this. Well, that's not true. And why is that? Because God himself came as a man to rescue us. God entered into human brokenness. And so he knows what it's like to live on this earth, to go through heartbreak and sorrow, to be betrayed, to be let down by those he trusted. And he came to rescue us. Rescue us from what? Well, from our sin, from our fallenness. And think about this. How does this good news arrive that God came to rescue us? 
Well, first with God preparing everyone for hundreds, even thousands of years by prophesying about himself coming to earth. Hundreds of prophecies point to Jesus with all sorts of facts, where he's going to be born, where he's going to live, what he's going to do, even how he's going to die. And what Isaiah and other prophets prophesied about finally came to pass. And this good news lands on this earth, listen, in joyful fashion. In the play, in Luke chapter 2, they read some of those verses, and they let us know about this joy. Here's what it says. In those days a decree went out from Caesar Augustus that all the world should be registered. This was the first registration when Quirinius was governor of Syria. And all went to be registered, each to his own town. Now you've all probably heard, heard this story before. You've heard the message. It's good to hear it again, isn't it? Yes. To be reminded of it. Yes. So all went to be registered, each to his own town. And Joseph also went up from Galilee, from the town of Nazareth, to Judea, to the city of David, which is called Bethlehem, because he was of the house and lineage of David, to be registered with Mary, his betrothed, who was with child. And while they were there, the time came for her to give birth. And she gave birth to her firstborn son and wrapped him in swaddling cloths and laid him in a manger because there was no place for them in the inn. And then notice this. And in the same region there were shepherds out in the field keeping watch over their flock by night, and an angel of the Lord appeared to them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were filled with great fear. And the angel said to them, Fear not, for behold, I bring you good news of great joy that will be for all the people. For unto you this day in the city of David a Savior who is Christ the Lord, and this will be a sign for you. You will find a baby wrapped in swaddling cloths and lying in a manger. And suddenly there was with the angel a multitude of the heavenly host praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest, and on earth peace among those with whom he is pleased. So again, the gospel lands on this earth with joyful fashion. The angels, what are they doing? They're celebrating, right? Verse 13, there's an angel, a multitude with the angel, and what are they doing? They are praising God. God. What about the shepherds? Well, at first it says they're filled with great fear. But then notice what happens further on, picking it up again in verse 15. When the angels went away from them into heaven, the shepherds said to one another, let us go over to Bethlehem and see this thing that has happened, which the Lord has made known to us. And they went with haste and found Mary and Joseph and the baby lying in a manger. And when they saw it, they made known the saying that had been told them concerning this child. And all who heard it wondered at what the shepherds told them. But Mary treasured up all these things, pondering them in her heart. And the shepherds returned. So here, they go from great fear, and then notice the transformation once they fully understood what had, what had occurred. The shepherds returned, glorifying and praising God for all they had heard and seen as it had been told them. So the angels are celebrating, the shepherds are praising God, and the good news comes in splendor. It comes in power. It comes in might. Again, notice what the angel says to the shepherds in verse 10. Fear not, for I bring you good news. Good news of great joy that will be for all the people. 
Now, the gospel literally is translated good news. So whenever you see good news, like in the New Testament, it's that, it's that Greek word for gospel. And so here, you could literally translate it, fear not, for I bring you the gospel of great joy. Now, why is the good news or the gospel of great joy? Because God himself came to dwell in our midst. But it's more than that. Now, that'd be pretty cool if, if, that, if that was like just the end of the story. But guess what? It's much more than that. Like, God came to dwell in our midst, but guess what? He grew up, and he lived the perfect life. And he did all sorts of miracles when he started his ministry around the age of 30 or so. And then guess what? He laid down his life for us. He laid down his life for us. And he was crucified on a cross. Why? Well, there's kind of how man approached it. The Pharisees and the religious leaders back then, they were jealous, and they didn't like that Jesus had come on the scene and was basically the popular one. So they wanted to take him out. But God had a plan much bigger than whatever their plan was. And it was to redeem a people for his own. And he had sent his son to make a way back to the Father. See, our, our sin is odious to the Lord. Our sin is odious. Well, we, got a, we got a new dog. Actually, it's our dog's one-year birthday today, okay? And, and apparently you get dogs' presents on their birthday, okay? Doesn't even know it's her birthday. <clears throat> but we got a new dog, and it's nice, and it's fluffy, and it almost looks like a, like a teddy bear or something. But, like, sometimes she really needs a bath. And one of my kids would be like, the dog really smells, right? But guess what? It doesn't, doesn't bother the dog. Really. Are dogs bothered that they smell? I mean, they don't ever act any different when they smell really horrible. They just go about doing their own thing still, having a good old time. Well, sometimes that's kind of how we are with our sin. Like, we can be in the midst of our foul-smelling sin and not have it bother us one bit. And we look around and we think, like, what's the big deal? Like, I just, I lied. I lusted. We can name all sorts of sins. Well, our sin is a big deal. Big enough that God himself came to the earth to deal with it. That's how big it was. And someday we're going to have to stand before God, all of us, each one of us is going to have to stand before God. The Bible says we'll have to stand before the judgment seat to account for our sins. And it's just like if you think in a, in a courtroom, um, if, if the judge has uh, someone who's been accused of a, of a crime, and the person who's been accused of that is like, well, judge, I did do that crime, but... Like, I also helped the little old lady cross the street, and I've been really good at work, and I've never stolen any money at work, and I filed my taxes on time. Like, the judge is going to be like, hey, that's great, but I still have to punish you for the crime. Like, the good actually never outweighs the bad. Criminals are punished for crimes that they do. God has to punish the crimes that we do. The good does not outweigh the bad. But that is why Jesus came. He took on flesh, lived the perfect life so that he could deal with our crimes, so to speak, with our sins. So when he was on the cross, God 
it says, placed our sins on Jesus. And Jesus paid the penalty. He's the one that paid the price. Why? So that we could be forgiven, so that our sins could be dealt with, so that the odious smell could be wiped away. How does that occur? Through trusting in Christ. Through truly believing that, yeah, he really is the one who paid the penalty for me. He paid the price. I believe in him. Brothers and sisters, friends, family that's gathered here today, if that's true, if Jesus really did come to this earth, if he really is God in the flesh, that changes everything. It changes everything. We are in desperate need of a Savior. We are in desperate need of a Savior. This world is in desperate need. But sometimes when we hear that, we're like, well, yeah, the world, it's got issues and it needs help. No, we need help. Like each one of us. And God sent his son to redeem a people for his own. He provided the way back to the Father. How does that occur? From turning away from, from the sins that we do and turning back to the Father. That's, that's the big word, repentance. Turning away, acknowledging that you messed up, and then turning towards the Father and walking towards him. What you find out when you do that is your Heavenly Father's been there waiting for you the entire time. He's been there. So you repent, you turn back, and you trust. You trust that what Jesus did was enough. You trust that your heavenly Father loves you and wants you to come back to him and be restored. You know, years ago, about 120 or so, the Wright brothers, they're, they're trying to get their flying machine off the ground. They finally get it off the ground for about 120 feet. So they telegraph back home to their mom and they tell her, we've actually flown 120 feet. We'll be home for Christmas. So she, she rushes down to the newspaper editor and, and shows, him, shows him that. And the newspaper editor kind of glances at it and says, oh, that's nice that the boys will be home for Christmas. <laughs> totally missing the big news, right? That man had flown. Listen, in the midst of the busyness of our life, and the holidays especially, sometimes we can miss the biggest news. God took on human flesh. He did it to come to save us from our sins. I encourage you, trust in Jesus today. He's, Jesus himself tells us in the book of John, chapter 14, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father but through me. If you want to be restored back to the Father, it comes through Jesus, the Son. That kind of makes sense. The Son and the Father, they go together, right? But he is the way, he is the truth, and he is the life. It is in Jesus that we can have eternal life. So I encourage you today to trust in him, turn away from your sins, and be restored to God the Father. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for sending Jesus for us. We thank you that it is through Jesus we have life. Lord, do your work here right now in the hearts of people. Speak to them, touch them. Pray, God, that today people would trust in you 
for salvation. They'd say no to their sins and they'd say yes to you. You truly are a good and gracious God. You love us so much, Lord. Let people today see and experience your love. Pray you'd send your spirit now to give the people the gift of faith, to trust in you, Lord. Thank you for your mercy and grace, which is never-ending. You truly are a good God, and we love you. Amen.